Welcome to STR Unfiltered, where we give you actionable episodes without the bullshit. Here is your host, Bill Faith. Hey, short-term rental pros, this is Bill Faith. I want to tell you about a secret weapon that I've been using for quite some time to build my email list. There's nothing that does it faster and also helps us relieve the dependence on the OTAs, Airbnb and VRBO, then StayFi. If you've never heard of StayFi, it's just, it's a platform that connects to your router to where when guests check in, not just the booking guests, but every guest, they log into it to access your Wi-Fi. Just like when you stay at a hotel or you'd walk into a coffee shop. It's super simple, there's no friction, but most importantly, this allows you to grow your email list by your occupancy rate and not just by the booker. So you can do it four times faster, six times faster, or in my case, 10 to 15 times faster. There is a reason that I do 41% direct bookings. It's because I use a platform like StayFi to build my email list so fast, and then I have my 200-day funnel to go in and actually bring them back to stay with me again and again. Impressive, right? So here's the bonus. No contracts needed. All you need to do is use my name, the code Bill, B-I-L-L, for an exclusive 50% off your first three months with StayFi. And this is not just about attracting new guests, it's about transforming one-time visitors into lifelong ambassadors and return guests. So check it out. StayFi, it's my secret weapon, and I want it to be yours as well. Look, to lock in your StayFi discount and start cultivating your engaged guest list, go to stayfi.com slash bill. That's stayfi.com slash bill. Yep, that's my name, and watch your booking soar. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to STR Unfiltered. Usually, I have my guests down in the waiting room, but when you got a guy that wears a cowboy hat and a vest like that, you just got to stay right up on the main stage. What's up, Sean? What's up, Bill? I'm so excited to join you today. You and I... Uh... We, we didn't meet a whole hell of a lot long ago. We've been in the same world for a while, but we've uh, had some good conversations since the last couple of months, and I'm, I'm excited for another one today. I agree. I agree. So those of you that listen to SDR Unfiltered, this is not going to be a 10-minute podcast. This is not going to be all about short-term rentals. Uh, Sean and I, I would say arguably are, are probably two of the more successful investors um, in the short-term rental space over the last 10 to 15 years. And I told Sean, I really want to talk about, you know, why are you wearing a cowboy hat? You're the only guy in the, in the industry that wears a cowboy hat. And, you know, talk about him. He's going to be here, actually. This will come out before the SCR Wealth Conference, February 5th through the 8th. And I've invited Sean to come in and really do my rookie boot, boot camp, the zero to five property people. Because here's what I want. If, you know, if you're familiar with Bodicey, if you're familiar with Sean, you probably think that him and I are cut from different cloths. We are identical, almost from playing collegiate sports and, you know, our height and just everything that's transcended through our life of being in, in successful in other industries to the short-term rental space. The only thing that's different is I self-manage and he hires a property manager to do the brunt of the work. That's it. All the other, the marketing stuff, the investment into photos and video and building super properties, there's a tremendous amount of alignment here. So if you haven't got your ticket, there's still a few left for that pre-conference workshop with me and Sean, make sure you get that on Monday. Cause probably after this comes out, you're going to need to be super quick. They're going to sell out. So Sean, let's just start with, I mean, what's up with the cowboy gear? Are you like a legit cowboy? Are you into the Western? I wore my new Montana slack and I was in whitefish for three weeks just for you today. Tell, tell I, me about I appreciate Sean. that. I told you that before we hit, hit record that. I mean, you're looking good, man. I mean, I think it might be the new look for you. We, we might be the, 
the two I might wear a fucking cowboy hat in the conference the two guys so I can match with you. I know. We got we got to get that going. You, I mean, you're in Nashville. You can get away with a cowboy hat better than I can here in Utah. So <laughs> you're you're golden. You know, I'm a I'm I was a wannabe cowboy for a long time. I ended up getting some horses a few years back and uh, just kind of got uh, moved to the country um, here in Utah. I live in the mountains in Utah. I live kind of in the resort side of Utah, kind of the backside of of Salt Lake City. We call the Wasatch Front is where whole Salt Lake Valley is, and then we've got like Park City and all the ski resorts on the backside of the Wasatch Front and. Uh, and that's where I live and uh, enjoy, you know, a couple of horses, a couple of animals and uh, a little piece of land and uh, pretend, pretend to be, I, I wouldn't say I'm a real cowboy because the, the real, that would be a, that would be an insult to real cowboys out there. But what's you know, the difference between a wannabe cowboy that has a couple of horses and a couple of animals and a real cowboy? Well, I, I think the, uh, the real cowboys are just a heck of a lot tougher. You know, those guys are the guys that those, those guys like look forward to like breaking the horses and stuff. Like I, I remember being in my, you know, late twenties, early thirties, I'd look at this like really ornery horse and be like, Oh yeah, I can't wait to like trade it and break it. And then now I'm like, man, just give me that like 20 year old horse that just doesn't want to do anything but walk, you know? So really what you're saying is you're, you're probably like the kind of cowboy I would be. You're like the country club cowboy. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm like, I've gotten soft over the years for sure. And so it's, uh, it's, uh, but the, you have the guy that goes out and gets the horse saddled and everything yeah. ready for you. You jump on it, you know, you're good to go. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, that's, that's more my style now. Now. So I always, I always tell people the cowboy hat and the, the boots and the Wranglers, everything, you know, that's, it's, it's just more of an attitude, right? It's like, I love cowboys. I love like the self-reliance, like, you know, hey, I'm going to take everything on my own shoulders. I'm going to be really you know, responsible for my own path. And, and so for me, the, the cowboy is more of an attitude of, of that, right? The, the old West of, Hey, listen, we're going to go, we're going to go pave our own way and, and make our own path. And, uh, and that's really what it's more about. Me. I love it. You know, now I'm going to get a t-shirt made that says I'm a country club cowboy. And <laughs> we're doing our workshop at the conference. Love it. Love it. Um, it's, it's funny. Look, I, I'm, I'm the exact same way. I'll tell you, I was in whitefish for three weeks and uh, my neighbor is like an outdoorsman, a fisherman, a hunter, you know, all that stuff. He's riding snow. He's like pits because there's no snow. He can't ride his snowmobile. He ice fishes. And he's like, hey, I've got a tent. And it was like after my mastermind, I'm there by myself before my family flew out. He's like, he's got this tent. He's like, you want to go ice fishing? I said, you, you bring heaters? He's like, no. I'm like, are you kidding me? It's like when you go camping. I said, dude, I've never been camping. He's like, what are you talking about? I said, I've never even rented an RV. I'm like the, the JW Marriott guy. <laughs> The country club kid. I've never done that stuff. I didn't have a father growing up. Oh, so, awesome. I mean, I'm kind of jealous, but I would be the country club cowboy too. Yeah. No I'll, I'll take you. I'll take you on a few pack trips. And, and we actually do camp, but we actually do get up in the mountains a little bit. So we need to break you into that side of life. We don't, we, we can, we can get you away from the, the JW for a minute. I, you know what, actually in 2024, my bucket list item is not like some crazy vacation to Europe or whatever. It's, I want to go. I forgot what the name of the area is. It's north of Glacier, um, and it's a great, like, trout fishing and hunting area. And I want to go and pack in. You pack in for, like, two or three days. They t but you do have a private a chef and that type of stuff. I don't want to cook. And I want to fly. And then you, like, float out and fly fish your way out. That's, like, my next dream vacation. Like, I'm taking my family to Barcelona and Italy and Zurich and all this bullshit for the summer. I want to go fucking fly fish and, like, pack in and do that stuff. You want to do that with me this summer? I would love to do okay. that. We'll get we'll get up there and do that. I, I always tell my my two happy places are in the middle of a river with a fly rod in my hands or up on the mountains on a horse. Those are my two happy places. Here, the problem with fly fishing, though, is like I just became a skier. The problem with fly, it's fucking hard. It's hard. It's harder than bass fishing. 
Yeah. You know, so I mean, I've, I like, I'm the country club guy. Every time that I've been, I've had the guide with me, you know, and the, oh, hey, cast it there. There's the rock. There's the break in the current. There's we're, you know, floating down the, the Clark Fork or whatever that is. But I mean, I have the river. And I, I'll be very honest with you. I've fished like probably 15, 20 times at my Montana house. I've got a river. I can literally tell people, I can throw the line in while I'm, you know, smoking a freaking tri tip on the deck. I've never caught a fish in that river. I can't do I suck. I can't do it by myself. This, but I still love it. I think there's something about the tranquility of standing in the water, yeah. which is different than I think floating down a river, right? That just, I don't know. There's one of those few places, at least for me, and I, I don't know if you feel the same way, that I can actually clear my head. Like I'm, I'm here by my, my wife went to Gulf Shores yesterday. I slept alone last night. Even when I was in Montana, I didn't see him for like 18 days by myself. I can't clear my head. I told Chris, my CO, I said, dude, I need to throw on my freaking waders and just go stand in the river. And I went and I did that after he left. I was there by myself. And it's just, I don't know, it's like the Calgon bath commercial, you know, yeah. just something happens. Do you feel that same way? Absolutely. I totally still feel that's, that's like, that's my therapy. There's just something therapeutic about it. There are times where I'll go, I got the drift boat and we've got some really nice rivers around here, uh, you know, around home, which is nice, like some, you know, some, you know, world-class rivers. And so I'll go float a river and take, you know, three or four hours floating river. And I might only throw my rod in once or twice on the perfect hole or the perfect situation, but I just like being on the river and floating and standing. It's just therapeutic to me. It's, it's the same for me riding, you know, riding in the backcountry on a horse, you know, you get away from where anybody's at. You're just in areas that you just, yeah, it's, it's not about catching the fish. It's not when I go hunting, you know, my son and I, we got, it was his first year we go elk hunting and deer hunting every year. And, uh, this was his first year hunting and he got himself his first deer. And I, I posted it on Instagram and I got all kinds of shit for it because I, you know, so they're like, a, you know, I'll, you killed a deer an animal. And I'm like, you, you guys are, you don't, you don't know the point. It's not about the kill by any stretch. It's not about the, the catching the fish or, or any of that. It's, it's just, you know, it's spending time with the people you love. It's, it's being able to clear your mind. It's, you know, connecting in spots where you're just nobody's bothering you and uh, it is very therapeutic so i absolutely feel the same that's that's awesome it's hard to find those things golf used to be that way for yeah. me but then once you turn it into a profession it kind of changes as good as, you, as good as you were it was that was more of a job right it, it definitely it, def, it definitely was that's why i don't play anymore i got i got, I got a fish or i got a ski or find something else to do as i get older so you live in utah uh but yet i want to kind of just jump over did you you grew up on the East Coast, right? No, no. I grew up here in Utah. In oh, you did? Okay. Gotcha. But yeah. you were a basketball player, right? Yeah. Lived, uh, went and played up in Idaho for a couple of years, came back to hometown of Utah and played at Weaver State for my last two years and uh, lived in Denver for a couple of years and then came back. So we've been in a board and bred here and uh, lived in Northern Utah our whole lives. Awesome. Yeah. How did you get into short-term rentals? What, what sparked that initiative? Really? Sort of by accident. I was into real estate, um, investing in real estate really since I was 20 years old. I've been doing it full time. I had a job right out of college for about six months. And, um, and then I got, I went and flipped a home and made 20 grand in my job. I was making $31,000 a year. And I was like, well, shit, that was, uh, I'm going to work full time for 31 when I can make 19 on, on a weekend, you know, from a seminar I went to. Right. And, uh, Got into that. They didn't, that was the only wholesale deal I ever did. I really jumped into fix and flip really right after that for about six years. Started doing development deals. Started working on high-end development in the resort side of life. And got exposed to the resort, high-end, second home type style. And, uh, and these, these were big private ski and golf resorts in, in Utah. And 
all of that was going really, really well. I was having a lot of fun with it. Owners of the resort got indicted on securities charges and it shut down overnight. And we were making really good money at the time. I shut down my fix and flip business, my development business at the time, because we were doing really well with this resort side. And, but when it all shut down overnight, to be honest, Bill, I just threw myself a six month pity party. I was like, well, this isn't my fault. This wasn't fair, blah, 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 blah. You know, the whole song and dance that, that many right. of us have done along the way. And I lost everything. You know, we went from making close to a million dollars a year to losing our house, losing our vehicles, losing everything. Because also I was really young back then making a lot of money and I was spending it as fast as I was making it. And really not, I wasn't really doing anything to invest in long-term real estate. And along that way though, I was buying stuff, right? And one of the things I bought was a second home. I bought a cabin, a lake cabin up in, uh, in a lake town up in Utah called Bear Lake, Utah. And as I was losing everything, this was in 2006, and I started, I started, you know, losing houses, losing. And the only thing that I didn't lose was this vacation home. And this was before Airbnb, right? This is back before like, and, but there was Craigslist around and there were local classifieds and I would start throwing it on there and renting it for the weekends. And I was paying for it. And then not only paying for it, I was making a little bit of money. And the light bulb for me really didn't go off until I got back on my feet, started investing and developing properties again. And just kind of one of those moments, I was on the beach with my son in Hawaii. We had our twins and it was their birthday week and we were, we were just walking around. I was having a frustrating day with a development deal we we're working on. And my son just grabbed my hand. I was like, you got it. Like, why don't you sell real estate in Hawaii? You know, if right. you talk real estate sucks, you should just move to Hawaii, right? Because we're having fun in Hawaii. You know, this four-year-old, that's what you think. But at the time, Tony Robbins was really hitting hard success without fulfillment is the ultimate failure, right? And because of, and he was telling the story of his friend, Robin Williams, and the tragedy that, that happened with Robin Williams. He said, you know, he brought joy to so many people. He was so successful, yet he wasn't fulfilled. And, and then the ultimate happens, right? And he takes his own life. And they were talking, I, our neighboring state of Idaho was running this big tourism campaign called 18 Summers. And it was saying, you know, you, don't, you only have so much time. And it was, the point was you have 18 summers with your kids. Don't waste right? And come to Idaho and visit us, right? There's a lot of fun things there. Well, all these things at the time for me was like, I just started, you know, we all have, I think these times in our lives. For me, this was one of those times in my life, like, what do I really want to do? You know, I can make money in real estate, but I really wasn't fulfilled. I was, it was a means to an end. You know, I'd, I'd pick up a piece of land, we'd entitle it, we'd sell it and we'd make money and we'd do it again. And it just wasn't that fun. And I really loved real estate investing, but I really, really loved my time in the resort space. And, and so, and I really started looking back saying, well, this capital we've had has been making us money the whole time. Maybe there's something to combining, you know, long-term, like a long-term investment that's a rental investment with, with resort. And at that time it was 2011 and short-term rentals were starting to gain some steam. You know, they weren't, they weren't real super popular back then. You know, you've been in it longer than most. I, I think you and I had probably from who I am aware of have been in it the longest. And but they weren't that popular back then when we did it, but there was still a need for it, right? There was still, right. and I just, I kind of went all in. It was one of those, just, it was just a time in my life where I was like, Hey, I'm, I'm going to dive into this asset class and have some fun. And I'm going to, I'm going to go as hard as I can on it. And, and the rest is history for us. And that's really, but it was just, a, it was kind of a moment in time that was like, I just want to do something different. And, and it turned into what it is today, which is pretty fun. And, you, and you, the one fundamental difference between you and I is I self-host and you don't. You pay a property manager to host. Yeah. Kind of why, I assume from what you've preluded up to this, it was because of time. You didn't want to invest the time into the management piece, 100%. right? 100%. Yeah. For me, 
it was just like, hey, listen, what do I like? What I don't not, don't like? I don't like to manage the properties, frankly. You know, um, could I put more money in my pocket if I did? Yeah, for sure, right? But I, I don't particularly enjoy that piece of it. I like to curate. I like to buy the right products. I like to set them up for these amazing experiences. I like to curate that experience, but I like to see somebody else deliver it because I think other people can deliver it actually better than me. And so I, I hire the right people to deliver that experience, but I'm responsible for everything. Like I don't, I don't call a management company. It's okay. It's your job to market my property. It's your job to figure out how to make my property better. Like that's my responsibility as the investor, but I enjoy that part of it. I just don't. But you're doing the marketing, not the property management. Absolutely. Company. Yeah. We so do what, what does your property management company do for you? And I know you're in, in multiple, just kind of break that down. You're invested all over the country like I am, but yeah. how do you choose that PM? Because most legacy PMs have a bad reputation. They suck at marketing. They're not proactive, all 100%. that type of stuff. So are you using co-host PMs and kind of how do you vet them and find them? I use both. Uh, and, and so it depends on the market. There are, there are some markets that I've got a great relationship with co-hosts, especially as co-hosting has become more popular. There's some really good co-hosts out there. And there's, some, there's some really good PMs. There's some really bad co-hosts and some really bad PMs, right? And so I think it's still the Achilles heel of my system and the way that I do it, because I would say, Bill, 80 to 90% of the, the PMs or the co-hosts we talk to, they're not going to fit the bill of what we're really looking for. Right. And right. so it's still my least favorite part of the process is selecting the right one. We take a lot of time doing it. And but when we do, then it really becomes very much. a. I mean, it's a very passive investment for us. And and so I'm looking for somebody that is interested in making sure that my guest experience is the same every time that can deliver the same guest experience in this every single time that somebody checks in. When I have my photos online and we spend $10,000 on a photo shoot and a property looks a certain way, my guests expect that property to be like that every time they walk into the room. And so I want them to make sure that that property, you know, they're, they're responsible for all the, the check-ins, checkouts, turnovers, communication, and really delivering that experience, not curating it. I'll do all that. I don't want them involved in that. I don't think they're good at that, you know, but if they've got the systems and processes to deliver that, that boots on the ground, customer experience 24 7 concierge while my guests are there that's what i'm looking for and that will help me maximize these assets that's really willy wonka's golden ticket isn't it i mean that's i in my opinion that's our biggest achilles heel as a vacation rental marketplace is the lack of consistency 100 you know, i'm a jw marriott or i'm a marriott guy i shouldn't say a jw for a reason yeah, it's Spring Hill Suites, Hampton Inns, JW yeah. Marriott's, whatever it is, it's all consistent every single time. The check-in process, you know, the, the rooms are consistent. I know what I can expect, and I think that's our Achilles heel. So I, there's no question you and I get more access because of our position in the industry than other people. So it's yeah. easier for us to find the best of the best. What do you teach your students? Give me the Cliff Notes version of how they source that when they're going to look for those PMs or co-hosts. Cause I think that's a really challenge. There's not really a marketplace to go. And then how do you vet? Because unfortunately most of these co-hosts and PMs, they don't have case studies built. They don't know the marketing and business stuff that you no. and I do. No, they don't have the case studies. They don't have data. They don't have metrics. They just say, Oh yeah, we do this, that, and the other. And a lot of it's just this. So how do you, Teacher students yeah. to best. So one, uh, one, I, I think success leaves clues. So I do think that you should look and see who's operating at the top of your market, right? Usually when you go look at the top properties, revenue-wise in your market, the top properties, review-wise in your market, it's very easy to do on tool, with tools like AirDNA. 
to tap in and see who's operating at the top of the market. And I look at those two things, revenue and reviews. And then we see reading them, we, we read the reviews of the top properties. And what I want to see, the very first thing I'm looking for in the comments in every one of my properties that when we're at the top of our market, the first, I mean, if you read 10 reviews, eight of them are going to mention our co-host or our property manager. They're going to say, you know, Melissa was amazing. Jess communicated so beautifully. Oh, it was awesome when Serena left us the bottle of wine. Uh, you know, they mentioned them by name. And I'm looking for that in the reviews. I'm not looking for, hey, this is the best property I've ever stayed in my life. I want to see in the top properties because they're all nice properties. I mean, if, if you're really honest, you're never going to always have the best property in the market because even if you have the best property today, somebody's building a better one tomorrow. You know, and so you want to have the best experience possible. Well, part of that experience for us, what we're looking for is our property managers communicating and you will, you will see it mentioned in reviews nonstop. I mean, I know that your properties are mentioning you guys in your reviews, right? How the communication was, how the check-in process was, how, how well somebody felt like they were just, you know, we want them to feel like they're just our arms are wrapped around them in a hut, right? It's that experience that we're looking for. And so we look top properties. And then, so we know that they know how to operate at the top, right? But what it takes to operate at the top is delivering a good experience. That's why we're looking at the top. And then we read those reviews. Once we find, you know, a couple of those that can make our short list, then we have an interview with them. And there's really three things that I look for as, because like I said, I, I want to be able to, to make sure that we can set our property up to succeed. And so there's three really important things for us. And when I'm hiring a property manager, I want to make sure that I can have a say on my photo shoot right? Most property managers are going to hire a real estate photographer and spend 300 bucks and they're going to throw it and it's going to look just like it does on Zillow. And we don't sell properties. We sell it. Right? So I say, hey, I want to do my own photo shoot. Are you okay with that? I'll pay for it. I'll do all that. I'll take care of it. I want to do my own photo shoot. And, and you'd be surprised how many of them say no. Almost every one of your national companies are going to say, no, we don't, we don't allow that. It doesn't work. So that's a deal killer for us. Two, I want so to have and evolve is out the door for you guys. That's yeah. for sure. Yeah, it's uh, th those are those those guys don't cut the bill typically. And so the number two thing is pricing, right? We want to have some say on our pricing. We we like to push pricing, non occupancy. And I know you're a fan of this. Like I always 100%. look at properties. People brag about 80, 90 percent occupancy. That's too high. You're not maximizing your revenue, and the you know the wear and tear on your property is too high. You know you should be somewhere in that about average occupancy in most markets, that's 50 to 60%. And so, and then we will, and so, but that's the flip of what a lot of property managers think. They just want, it's like, hey, we just want revenue. So we'll drop prices to get a higher occupancy. And we're the opposite. We want to push our price, push our revenue, but not necessarily maximize our occupancy, right? And so-, so How we, involved are you in the revenue management side with your co-hosts and property managers? I'm very involved in the very beginning having these conversations strategy wise. And then, and then we, we typically, we've been doing this for a long time. So keep this in mind, right? We've got a process that our revenue management is a, is a fairly laid out. Okay. Here's what we're doing during the launch phase, which is the first 60 days after that 60 days, 60 days to six months out. Here's what we're doing and kind of trying to establish ourselves in the listing. And then after that, when we're trying to really maximize and push, here's our strategy. And revenue management is very much laid out. The only time we get involved is if something's not driving with our actual plan, right? right? And so, but it's fairly laid out for the first year. And so we we just make sure that they're on board with that. And then that that third thing is, do they have a process for us to hand over direct bookings? Because we're really good at marketing and understanding how to generate our own direct bookings. And so um, we want to make sure that they're okay with us sending them 
sending them business over and, and do they have a process? Do they have a, how do they want us to hand those people over once they say they want to book the property? It's amazing. I can only imagine how many would turn you down because, oh, this is the way we do it. We can't customize. Yeah. We won't do that as opposed to, and really on the direct booking side, it's amazing to me how many legacy PMs don't want any involvement from yeah. the owner, you know? Yeah. And I'm like, well, shit, if I can drive you a hundred thousand and you're making your 20%, why would you not? Yeah. Less marketing dollars, less effort. That's why you guys are an occupancy-based low price model because you don't want to pay fucking effort into the marketing and the pricing. Right. Oh. Right. And they don't really, they don't understand marketing like we do. I was just at a conference. I just came back from Atlanta. There's 700 PMs there. And I was speaking to them on stage and we were talking, my whole plan was to talk to them at a higher level on some things. Under Thinking they understood revenue management, thinking they understood marketing. 10 minutes into my speech, they had all these questions. I just, I just threw the PowerPoint out the, the window and we, we did a whole marketing thing. And then all of a sudden they're booking me for the next day and the next day. So they're like, we need to, we need to learn this stuff. And so I also think from the PM side of life, one, they don't, they've never really learned that, right? Most PMs are like a lot of property owners, Bill. They've been in the business for two or three years and all you had to do was have a damn property and got, you got right. bookings, right? And that's, they didn't have to learn marketing. Also, they have a lot of resistance to owners coming in and saying, we want to do this, this, and this. And they're like, well, why are you hiring me? You know, I don't want to be micromanaged. I don't want to be told how to do my job. And they feel like that's what it's going to be. You and I sit here and think, well, why wouldn't they do that? Well, mo most people don't have the systems processes and experience that you and I do. So I do understand a little bit of their pushback. And so you, you do have to have, you have to have good bedside manner to have these conversations, to have a, a PM at least kind of put their guard down a little bit and say, okay, yeah, maybe I'm willing to learn this, you know? Agreed. Have you thought about, you know, creating your own? as opposed to using different ones around the country to where you can go in and train them. And I bring that up because I'm literally yeah. creating listings today and yesterday to launch. And for the first time ever, I've taken one of my mastermind members and I'm having him co-co-host with me and training him. He doesn't know this, Eddie will after he sees this, but hopefully eventually he'll take over the entire portfolio, including the properties that I own, because I'm trying to transition more to your side of the fence to not have to continue to do this because I'm making so much money doing and I can afford yeah. to give up a quarter, you know, of it and, you know, yeah. still be fine. Yeah, uh, 100%. We've been talking about it for about a year and a half. And in fact, I announced it to our mastermind group about a year ago that we were going to start one. And I just have been dragging my feet along the way. If I'm going to do it, I'm going to go all in and we're going to do it. There are economies of scale. You and I, you know, talked about how where you you're you know, like when you go into an area, you're like you'll invest in kind of pods of properties. You're you, like you go into an area, you're like, hey, I'm interested in owning multiple properties in this area because of that, right? Be, because the biggest reason is the economies of scale on the management side, right? I mean, if, if you're honest, if you're like, I think that that would be the biggest. And, and that way, I can use them as lifestyle assets, and the other two will pay for the one while I'm exactly. there. Exactly, and, and you've and you've got them kind of everybody, you, you know, you're pooling resources, which is great business-wise. Mine are spread out all over the place. And so, but now we've got such a collective portfolio inside the Bodicey family that it does make sense for us to probably consider that management option. And because, I mean, we don't we understand how to manage properties. Right. You know, we, we, a lot of times we're training our managers on what we want them to do. <laughs> and, and, and that's why we work with small boutique management companies typically or co-hosts who are willing to say, hey, you, I'm, I'm willing to learn this and grow with you. And so, yeah, we definitely thought of it. But it's, it's hard to do at scale, right? You and I have small portfolios, right? Yes. We built these, invested in cre created, curated, built these super properties. 
And it's not, we don't need 30, 50, 100 properties. I mean, no. I don't know about you. I've only seen really two large scale property management companies that really nail it. Like, like nail it the way you and I, one's in your market, Abode. They do a phenomenal yeah. job in Park City, Deer Valley, and now Jackson Hole. And then I met Casago. I met the owners of Casago, yeah. which at a very large scale have taken Evolve and kind of taken it to the whole next level. And we're talking thousands of properties. That's a hard thing to do, like Very with hard. demanding clients like you and I, of what that guest experience has to be for us yes. to be able to sustain the highest ADR in return. It's hard. It's hard to have 100 properties and be able to do that. It's really hard. And it's hard to get 100 property owners to set the properties up the way you want to manage. That's what I think is that for me, that's what holds me back. It's like if well, I could if you manage, own it, if you train that person, then you get to control it, right? You would, well, yeah, if I own the property, right? Correct. But you, but I mean, if you, if you train your own co hosts or PMs that do it in house. Yeah, and they do it in house, but and, and we do it for our own little portfolio. But it's right. always our part, my portfolio bill, probably, I would guess that the largest it will ever get is maybe 12 to 15 properties. I agree. Keep it somewhere between eight to 10 properties is about where I keep my portfolio and always have. And I like that size, but you can make, I mean, we're, we're, uh, you're a little closer to that seven figures than we are. We're in that 800 range with our properties on net revenue on the on the properties. But I mean, we, we should be clipping away at seven figures this next year with, you know, we'll probably have right now we've got seven properties. We'll probably add one or two more this next year and and be close to that seven figure mark with a small portfolio. That's that's one of the things I love. I agree. I'm at 12 currently. And last year, I think I shared with you on your podcast, I missed a million by three grand. Yeah, I did barely that. missed it. Yeah. 82. I mean, pretty much I'm done. We're all done by this point, you know, unless we have a one or two night stay that would check in. But I think I'm going to do a, a mil, just under 1.1, a million 82,000 in net income. And it's just a vanity number, you know, but now I'm, I don't know that I'll get up to 15. I, I kind of want to trim back a little bit. I'd love to be able to sustain around a million and yeah. drop two or three properties. So yeah. that's where, you know, the return on equity, go do an audit and then you know, continue to invest. I want to transition for a second. I want to get your opinion. We're recording this just so everybody knows it's December 29th today. Uh, this is going to come out, I think the second week of January. So we'll be two weeks into 2024 when people see this. We're approaching 30 minutes. This is the longest fucking podcast I've ever, I've ever recorded. I'm just saying, but I want to get your opinion because you're a buyer. I'm a buyer. I've got a property under contract right now. I'm planning on maybe adding one or two more, which would take me to that 15 mark. But that means I would sell something that's smaller yeah, right? the portfolio because of the fact of what's potentially going to happen and i say potentially it's pretty much certainty the feds made it clear that we can expect four and even if it's only two and most likely the first rate decrease by the fed's going to happen in march most likely second one's probably going to happen in june after that if everything starts to kick up we are in an, an election year What's your forecast for 2024? And are you a buyer now before that happens? What are you doing personally and advising to your mastermind members? Yeah, I'm absolutely a buyer right now. And I think that there is the, the most likely scenario now, and the feds have already said they're going to start dropping rates. I believe there's way more shadow demand than a lot of people even realize sitting on the sidelines right now. And what they're waiting for is for rates to drop. The issue is when rates start to drop, which they already said they're going to now, they're all going to jump in the market. And with the inventory levels as low as they are, I do think we're going to see inventory levels come up. But you got to remember, we're at 34% below where we were in 2019. 
2019 was a pretty robust market and we were still low inventory in 2019, if everybody remembers, right? And so we've been really low inventory since the last crash because because building just stopped, right? right. And, and so we've had this gap. Inventory is so low, demand's going to go up. I actually think it's going to be a shit show on the market. And I think you're going to be competing like crazy for all the good properties. I think right now it's a short window and it's narrowing as we speak. And we've been talking about this with our mastermind group for the last six months saying, hey guys, the, the supply and demand gap is so wide still. So it still technically feels like it should be a seller's market, but the sellers are scared to death. So you have the opportunity to, to negotiate right now and get some seller financing. There's some really good deals to be made right now. Prices aren't falling necessarily, right? They're, they're kind of holding steady. When everybody jumps into the market, prices are going to skyrocket and you're going to be competing. They're going to be selling for over again. And I, I think that it's going to be, I actually, a lot of the, you know, people smarter than me, economists and things like that out there, they think that you're going to have five to 8% appreciation this year. I think it's going to be higher than that because I think that, I think that there's going to be so much of that shadow demand that jumps into the market, trying to, to snag some of the lower rates. And that's when I will probably pull back. If I don't, if I don't get a couple really quickly right now, before that big flood to the market happens, I'm kind of that contrarian. Like I'm going to do the opposite of what the market does most of the time. And this last year, we were really aggressive trying to get a couple properties right now. It's just, you know, what's been hard as aggressive as we've been, the inventory is so low and not every property works. Not every property pencils out because of the economics of the, pro you know, prices didn't drop, interest rates skyrocketed. There's nothing to look at. And so it's been, it's been difficult to get properties to underwrite. So, but I think you should be really, really aggressive right now. I think that there's a short window of time where you that you can really add to your net worth specifically. Like my goal this year, this is a bold goal and I've never had it before. I think we can double our net worth this year um, because of a lot of things lining up in the market. And and then what we can do with our own portfolio right now, I think there's a lot of things that, that are going to go well for us. And I don't think you're going to see, I don't think that the White House is going to let a, let any sort of a crash happen. They want as good of good of numbers as possible across the board because it's election year, right? They, they want to, they want to see things moving forward. Agreed. Like I couldn't agree with you more unintended. <laughs> I think we're going to see five to 8% before July 1st. I, I would agree with you. I it's think it's really going to be dependent on how many people are, I think that are getting in for the first time that have heard about this stuff, but have been scared of eight, 9% interest rates after March. If that first drop happens in March, if you're an investor, understand banks will start anticipating that drop as it becomes more and more solidified behind the scenes, probably around the conference in early to mid-February in anticipation of that drop. It's not, it doesn't just, that announces then like immediately an hour afterwards or a day or a week afterwards, rates start to come down. They're going to start to come down about 30 days, 21 to 35 days ahead of time. Mm -hmm. So the, the smart investor could have something under contract and start to try to rate lock in February, yeah. right? But get it contracted before the onslaught happens. The first timers are probably going to be coming in, in in April, May, and June as the rate drop hits, interest rates come down, and it becomes, it's everywhere from TikTok to CNN, you know, to Fox News. Yeah. So I agree with you a thousand percent. I'm in buying mode. I'm sitting on just under $2 million in cash. I've never had that much investable cash. I've usually tried to keep 500 to a million and it's been ready to deploy. I probably won't deploy all of it, but I'll probably deploy close to half of it and then hopefully be able to level up 
and keep those property numbers low, right? Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. all about return on investment. Awesome. Sean, this has been great. I appreciate you jumping on with me. 35 minutes, new record, longest. That's a record? Ever. I like it. I love setting records. I, 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 love, I, I think like I it. had Avery on for like 27, 28 minutes. You're now the new champion. All right, I'm going to give Avery some shit and be like, hey, Avery, I got, I got, I got, I got a little more long-winded than you got. Let's send her a text and say, Avery, I just crushed you. Or yeah. put it on Instagram. That'd be even better. Yeah. Those are fighting awesome. words in our circle, right? Everybody's so competitive. We're like, man, what are you talking about? <laughs> exactly. Well, I'll see her. We're actually doing a war room meeting with my super team down in her neck of the woods down in 30A next week. So nice. got to go warm up a little bit. So I'll take off the Montana stuff and put yeah. on the Lululemon to get down there well, with some shorts. get a little beach gear going, yeah. <laughs> awesome, Sean. I look forward to seeing you in, on February 5th, Absolutely. Monday. Sean Moore, Vodacy, myself, Bill Faith, Build Short-Term Rental Wealth. It's basically going to be the rookie boot camp that we're putting on all the essentials you need to absolutely crush 2024. If you want to scale from three to five to 10, or if you just want to get your first one and build an amazing super property, come join Sean and I in the pre-workshop on the fifth, get your ticket now. Sean, I look forward to seeing you. We'll have a glass of wine, chill out. And I might even wear a cowboy hat on that first day. I can't wait to see you, Bill. Thank you everybody for joining me. Happy hosting. We'll see you on the next episode of STR Unfiltered. The STR Unfiltered podcast is brought to you by Market My STR, the ultimate all-in-one marketing platform for short-term rental hosts. Are you tired of juggling multiple marketing tools? Say goodbye to the hassle and make your life as a host a breeze with Market My STR. Boost your booking rates and increase your revenue in no time with our powerful features. Our platform streamlines your marketing efforts so you can focus on what you do best, providing unforgettable guest experiences. Whether you're a newcomer or a seasoned host, Market My STR has got you covered. Stay connected with your guests using our comprehensive set of communication tools. From custom landing pages to text messages, email marketing, and social media integration, we provide all the tools you need to elevate your short-term rental business. Streamline your operations, enhance your guest experience today. Don't settle for less so we can have it all. Make the switch to MarketMySTR's all-in-one marketing platform and watch your business soar. Visit MarketMySTR.com today to sign up for your free trial. That's MarketMySTR.com. Elevate your short-term rental business with Mark and my STR. Thank you for listening to STR Unfiltered, where we give you actionable episodes without the bullshit.